So this morning, um, we have the wonderful Rachel Baranska coming to uh, speak to us. For those of you who don't know Rachel, she's been a member of this church uh, for about the past year. And um, Rachel, um, she uh, she just brings so much blessing to this community. She, she volunteers amongst the youth. She does a great job with the youth. All the youth absolutely love her. They'll be very sad that she's in here and not out there with them. And um, she really um, just raises faith to people around her. She's given me a couple of prophetic words over these last year, which I've found to be absolutely bang on and have really encouraged me. And um, she works uh, during the week. She works for Save the Children. She's a senior project manager there. And she's got a passion for international development. She's been working in this area for many, many years. She's lived in sub-Saharan Africa for a while. She's toured with the African Children's Choir and all kinds of things. So um, it's a real privilege to have her speaking to us. She's speaking all day at all three services. Um, so thank you, Rachel. And should we pray for her as she comes up to um, to speak to us? Father, we we thank you for Rachel and and for all she pours out into this community. Lord, we pray you would bless her with peace as she shares this message with us. And we pray, Lord, uh, you'd open our hearts through her words. We would hear from you. We thank you for her. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Jerry. Good morning, everyone. All right, so um, we're now in week um, three um, of uh, working through the Sermon on the Mount. And as a church, we are uh, journeying um, through this set of passages given by Jesus. Um, And for those who've never heard of it, it's literally a sermon on a mount. Um, Jesus has gone up a mountainside, uh, and some have referred to it as Jesus' manifesto. Essentially, what will life look like for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven? A life that is founded on, based on radical grace. And the the Christian message um, tells a story of transformation. Um, In the Old Testament, we learn of the story uh, from the Israelites uh, being saved from slavery under the Egyptians uh, to reaching the promised land. Uh, And in Matthew's gospel, he parallels a lot of that Exodus stories, but he is telling a story uh, of transformation from slavery to sin to being in the kingdom of heaven. The Christian message is about that transformation um, by the grace uh, that Jesus showed us uh, on the cross. Um, And uh, when we accept Jesus as Lord, he can transform us um, through his death and resurrection. uh, We are saved from sin and we can enter uh, the kingdom of heaven. The whole story is about that grace. Um, And those who repent and place their faith and trust in Jesus alone for the salvation become children of God and are adopted uh, into God's family. And in Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus climbs up on a mountainside like Moses did on Mount Sinai. But just as Moses did um, where he brought the Ten Commandments, the teaching of the law, um, Jesus instead says that what sets God's people apart now is not the laws that they follow, but the transformation of their life by radical grace on which their faith is founded. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Believers who live in this kingdom are called and equipped by the Holy Spirit to live differently, 
And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is explaining what that life looks like. What does a life transformed by grace look like in a very practical sense? We are transformed by love. So the passage we're looking at um, today within the Sermon on the Mount is the first part of chapter 7. The first half of chapter 7 is all about the Christian's relationships, relationship with God and relationship with other people. And it covers um, judging others, which is what we're looking at today. It covers prayer. And also, uh, in, in some versions of the Bible, call it the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Um, Matthew 22, in the greatest commandment, uh, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It asks us in our relationships to look upwards to get our relationship right with God and outwards to look at our relationship with others. So let's read the passage uh, that we're looking on uh, at today, Judging Others. Uh, a nice light topic for the first time I ever <laughs> preach at St. John, so thank you for that one. Um, but actually, I've been really, really excited getting into this text, uh, not at feeling condemned uh, when I judge people, which I am terrible at, but by what it offers in being able to be people of grace and people of love and how that transforms lives and sets people free. So the passage, Matthew 7 Uh, verses 1 to 5, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, And then Jesus adds a nice uh, parable. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we're faced with hundreds of opportunities every day to judge people, aren't we? Whether it's on the commute, which is one I find particularly challenging, whether it's at work, whether it's watching people on TV, in our families, our friends, they are all around us, hundreds of opportunities every day to judge And uh, of course, when you're preparing for a sermon, Jesus points out all of those uh, things to you. He transforms our hearts uh, first. And so I've been uber conscious of it. Um, And I've been absolutely astounded at my propensity to judge. So uh, uh, over the last few weeks, some examples have come to mind. But um, I can take a glance at my phone when I'm driving and two minutes later be staring daggers at somebody else for being on their phone whilst driving because of the danger that it's putting me in. Um, When I started playing uh, rugby, um, on my second game, I was yelling at the ref for being blind when I didn't actually know the rules yet. Um, Now, the ridiculousness of these examples don't pass me by, and it didn't pass Jesus by when he said, first take the plank out of your own eye before you uh, remove the speck from another man's eye. Uh, In Luke's version of the same passage of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, whilst the ref probably gets yelled at a lot, Um, by people who are being just as idiotic as I was at that point. Um, There are so many times when the decision that I have made um, has much greater implications. Um, I am, as Jerry mentioned, a senior project manager um, of a team of uh, 23 people. 
And there are a multitude of opportunities every day when I'm judging people's performance, uh, I'm in negotiations with vendors where I'm judging their performance, their motivations behind it, uh, mediating conflict, determining a course um, of action. Um, and whilst the practical outcome of a decision that I may make may be the same, um, I can come to that situation with a judgmental spirit, or I can come to that situation uh, with grace glasses, seeing them as Jesus sees them. And sadly, I get this wrong far too many times. And it's this judgmental spirit that God is speaking about in that text. And I know that um, confidently because the Holy Spirit that lives in us as Christians is the one that convicts us of that spirit. I know when I'm looking at somebody without the love that Jesus has. I know when I am saying something to condemn them, to hurt them, maybe because they've hurt me or maybe because I'm struggling with my own identity, whatever that may be. Uh, I know when I'm convicted of that. Um, and I feel particularly convicted of that. As, as uh, Jerry mentioned, um, I work in international development. It's something I'm really passionate about. Uh, and the thing I'm passionate about above all else is that the people of this world feel valued, that they know that they have worth, that every single person believes that they are valuable. And yet I'm always struck by that passage where Paul says, uh, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I want to do, no, the other way around. What I do, yeah, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. Um, and that is very much true for me. Um, the amount of times uh, my words have not brought life um, is something I want to change. Um, and I am so grateful for the times where people within the church uh, have pointed those things out to me. Because in the context of the church, being gracious with one another doesn't mean that we don't deal with that sin. Um, the Amplified Bible in Galatians 6 puts it, uh, I think, uh, better than I could have articulated it for sure. And it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, that is, you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness. Keeping a watchful eye on yourself, that you are not tempted as well. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the requirement of the law of Christ. That is, the law of Christian love. So whether it's in the context of Galatians 6 there, or whether it's in their everyday interactions, um, God warns us against a judgmental spirit. And he calls our actions to come from a heart of love, and from our words to set people free and not to condemn them. So why does he ask us not to judge? Um, what happens to us, to our relationship with God, and to our relationship with others when we have a judgmental spirit? Uh, first of all, um, it breaks that relationship with God. To be in a right relationship with God we need to recognize him as Lord and our position under his lordship. God's love for us is unlimited and unconditional. And we were designed to be loved by him and to love him. And to love God fully is to recognize who he is. You cannot love someone fully if you don't recognize who they are. Um, and in recognizing that God is Lord, we recognize that we need to be under his lordship. And when we 
choose to judge others, when we decide that we uh, can say something about their heart, their motivation, uh, when we condemn them, we step out from under Jesus' lordship, recognizing he is the only one that can do that and put that crown on our own heads as though we have the right to do that. And James 4.12 says, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? At the beginning of the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, um, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to realize what state you are in before God. And with that poverty of spirit, recognizing our position, only then are our hearts in a place to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be transformed by his love, by his grace, that then can overflow from us to others. Which brings to the second of uh, what happens to us when we judge. It reduces our opportunities to be a light in the darkness and a witness for the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3, I absolutely love uh, the way it puts this. It says, you are a living letter of the anointed one, the liberating king, inscribed not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, a letter too passionate to be chiseled onto stone hearts, stone tablets, but emblazoned upon the human heart. In the Old Testament, Moses received the law and wrote it on tablets of stone. Jesus' transformation of our lives is emblazoned upon the human heart, not written on tablets. It's our lives that are a testimony to others of that transformative power of his love. When we choose to judge others, uh, we are not being that testimony. We're not being that witness uh, that Christ asks us to be. And what about what happens to the other people when we judge them? They learn something about their identity. Every person on this earth, their heart is a battleground. God is chasing after every heart to bring it into the fullness of life. And the enemy is making absolutely every effort in the opposite direction to make sure that they feel worthless, to keep them as far away from the fullness of life as possible. He'll use absolutely every tactic he can and so when people are judged by a judgmental spirit, whether verbal, nonverbal, or even just perceived, this can lead to them feeling rejected, isolated, ashamed, diminished, demeaned, worthless. In our interactions with others, what are they going away with? Are they walking away feeling condemned? Are they walking away uh, feeling uh, loved, accepted, valued? 1 John 4 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And they also learn something about God and the gospel message. The world is watching people of faith to see whether their actions and their testimony uh, of their lives testifies the truth that they proclaim. Now, when, um, I don't know if uh, any of you remember having kind of yearbooks or a book at the end of school where people would write a message to you at the end of school. Well, at our school at the end of uh, seven years of being in the same uh, class, with, it was a big school, 300 in my year. Um, and uh, so I have a book, still have it, with messages from people, whether I liked them or not, whether I remember even speaking to them or not, they wrote a nice message uh, at the end of those seven years. And uh, one of the girls who'd been in my form class for that whole time uh, wrote in my book, um, thank you for sticking by your faith 
I would never have stuck by my faith uh, if I hadn't seen you stick by yours. In seven years, I had never known that she was a Christian, that she went to church. Um, I had no clue whatsoever. Um, But she, as many people do, um, were watching to see, would the testimony of my life stand up to the truth that I proclaimed? Um, Our judgment of others, our behavior to others, can be a poor or a good testimony to them of the grace that has transformed our lives. Um, A good friend of mine spoke to me one day um, about their desire to be truly known. They spoke about the freedom that they imagined that they would feel if the people around them, I remember them particularly talking about their grandparents even, um, knew uh, their innermost thoughts, uh, how they felt, how they believed, what they believed and what they did. And they felt trapped and a fear of being judged if people did know who they truly were. Um, Very sadly, shortly after that conversation, they chose to leave the church uh, and abandon their faith. And this was generally one of the most heartbreaking conversations that I've ever had. Um, I hope sincerely that they'll come back to God uh, one day. John Powell, a Christian psychologist, wrote, a book of the same title, and this sentence stands out. Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? I am afraid to tell you who I am because if I tell you and you don't like who I am, it's all that I have. Imagine if the church was the first place people thought of if they set out to find a community in which they could belong, be accepted, and feel they have worth. Thank goodness that Jesus is the place they can go to when they can feel they can belong, be accepted, and have worth. Now this um, passage particularly talks to us as those who are in a position uh, where we can be tempted um, to judge. But what if we are the ones who feel like we have been judged? As humans, we have an innate desire to know who we are, to understand our identity. We seek belonging, acceptance, and worth. Uh, We want to be known and valued. And that desire to belong um, is completely natural. Uh, God created us to be in a relationship with him. And so we have an inbuilt compass to be restored to that relationship. And yet on the journey, we get distracted. We seek... um, uh, an identity in so many other things. Um, We seek it in the social groups that we're in, in the families we're in, whether it's a sports club, whether it's supporting a team. um, And often we know by comparison what our identity is. We know that we are in by judging those who are out. And we can do the exact same thing um, in church. How do we know we are in? By who is out. Um, And yet we are continually looking uh, in the wrong place when we do that. There is an amazing book um, by uh, Max Lucado called You Are Special. Um, It's a book that looks like it's aimed at children, but I'm pretty confident that he meant it for adults. Uh, And there's there's always parents have a grin on their face around the room when I um, bring this example in. Um, It's an amazing story, and they have uh, these little figures called Wemmicks. They're little wooden um, people. And the Wemmicks spend all day putting dots or stars on each other. 
And the dots are a, uh, a condemnation, a uh, you are not good at this thing, you get a dot. Um, or if you're good at something, you get a star. And the, the book is about this wooden toy, Punchinello. Um, and he is just covered in dots. And the more dots he gets, the more dots people give him because they assume that he must deserve those dots. Um, and uh, in the book, um, there is another Wemmick that he looks at who has no dots and no stars. And he wants to know why. Um, and she takes him to Eli, who in the book is the image of uh, God. Um, and Eli tells him that he is accepted, valued, eternally loved. And he is special because God doesn't make mistakes. Many of us have been hurt by other people's judgments of us. Many of us are still trying to seek our identity. God wants to tell you today, you are accepted, you are valuable, you are eternally loved. And in the book, Punchinello goes to Eli and as he starts to believe the truths that Eli tells him, one of his spots drops off to the floor. One of my um, absolutely favorite things in the world um, is Les Miserables. Um, Jerry and I this morning have discovered a mutual love for Les Miserables. I am still ahead of him in terms of the number of times I've seen it at the theater, which so far is seven. Uh, and I'm <laughs> looking forward to my eighth visit. Um, I'm not going to spoil the story for you, um, but I may spend several hours telling you why you should go and see it or, or watch the rest of the movie. Um, but at the, at the beginning of this story, the, the whole story is about an incredible grace and how somebody responds to that. Jean Valjean is a prisoner. Um, he uh, has been convicted for stealing a loaf of bread uh, for, for, for his family who were starving. Um, and he's been let out. He's on parole. Um, he's been let into the bishop's house who's given him dinner. And in the middle of the night, he steals the silver. And he's caught by the police who bring him back in front of the bishop. And the police and Jean Valjean are expecting the bishop to condemn him and send him back to prison. And the bishop says, what you said is true, but you forgot I gave you the candlesticks also. Why would you go away without the most precious thing? In that moment, the bishop demonstrated the heart of Jesus that he is um, compelling us to have in this passage in Luke's version of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, the same passage says, Do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn or it will come back against you. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and you will receive. And then my favorite bit, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. Jean Valjean responded to that grace. And the story tells of how he lived his whole life in response to that grace and showing grace to others. Jean Valjean's life was turned around by that outrageous grace. Outrageous grace isn't something you can achieve by being good. It's the gift you receive by being God's. Outrageous grace is God's goodness that comes looking for you when you have nothing to offer. 
It's the insanity of a shepherd who puts 99 sheep at risk to rescue the single lamb that's too stupid to stay with the flock. It's the love of a father who hands over his finest rings and robes to a young man who has squandered his inheritance on drunken binges with his friends. It's a one-way love that calls you into the kingdom, not because you've been good, but because God has chosen you and made you his own. And now he is chasing you to the ends of the earth to keep you as his child, and nothing in heaven or hell can ever stop him. So as we come to a close, how do we respond to that? If you've received and know that transformational power of the radical grace of Jesus, how is your life living in response to it? Dig into that grace. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and let it overflow from you. Live with grace classes. Um, This is something I have always struggled to do, as I mentioned um, earlier. Um, And literally since I was about 10 or 12, I've prayed that God would help me see people um, as he sees them. Um, now, I appear to be in good company as R.T. Kendall also struggled with this on a <laughs> daily basis. And one of his, he said this was one of his greatest weaknesses. And his book on total forgiveness, he says he read Luke 6, verse 37 every day. Uh, more recently, I found a bit more of a practical way that helps me. And literally in those meetings that I described earlier, um, uh, I found a more tangible way is thinking, you know, how, was, how would that person's mother be looking at them if they were in the room right now? You know, we, we, sometimes the, um, the grace of God and that transformational love of God doesn't always feel that tangible. But when I'm in a meeting and somebody is particularly irking me and I'm struggling uh, uh, with that in that moment, uh, I imagine their mum looking on them so proud Um, of whatever they're trying to do, even if they're getting it completely wrong, um, of just that that love that that would be in their eyes. Um, Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. I absolutely love that passage. I'm not where I need to be. This is a Joyce Meyer uh, thing. I'm not where I should be, but thank goodness I'm not where I used to be. Um, We can be transformed into Jesus' likeness. Um, What about, though, um, if you're here today questioning your identity? Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, you may have been hurt by other people's judgments of you. The media's judgments, uh, other people from within or without the church, uh, whether they are real or perceived, God wants to restore you um, to identity in him. He wants you to know that you are accepted, valued, and eternally loved. And if you've never heard that God chose you before the world began, loves you unconditionally and without limits, died to restore you to a relationship with him that brings fullness of life and is chasing after your heart, then today is an opportunity to receive that radical grace on offer from Jesus and discover that the answer to that drive for a sense of belonging, acceptance and worth, uh, that's that inbuilt compass in us, um, can be answered by Jesus. Jesus is chasing after your heart. And what will your response be?